And uh, I'm going to answer this question a couple times today, I'm sure. The bow tie is for my wife. So there you go. That's why it's on me, because I don't wear these. All right. Uh, also, I match Uriah. So him and Uriah, we got it. Um, so uh, Job chapter 40. And uh, we let's, co- let's cover not a cute passage, all right? Let's go with Job 40. Happy Father's Day. Let's talk about Leviathan and Behemoth. Um, well, you know how that goes. All right. Uh, also, we'll mention more about it if you weren't able to come out to the Bible handouts at all or anything like that. We have the Nettervilles with us and got to do the Bible handouts Friday, Saturday, uh, and a couple hours a day. And we had 70 Bibles given out and six souls come to the Savior. And so it was, a, it was an awesome couple of days. I've already had people go, are we going to do that when they leave? And I said, no, I don't. Yes. I said, yes. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I don't think we can do that without Brother Netterville. We're just going to have to make him stay. Um, really, Actually, no, he can go. We'll keep Debbie. We'll keep Debbie. Uh, she's a sweetheart. And then, no? No, you won't let us do that? Okay. Well, I guess we're stuck with Brother Scott, too. All right. Uh, Job chapter 40 is where we are, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse number 15. And uh, we talked about this passage a little bit last time, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, expound upon it a little bit more and then get into chapter 41, which is going to be fun as well. So uh, the Lord obviously is speaking to Job and started back there in verse number 6 of this chapter, and uh, he's continuing down. And verse number 15, he says, Behold now, behemoth which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar, the sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass, his bones are like the bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He hath made uh, him. Uh, he that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food, uh, where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees and the covert of the reeds, uh, of the reed and fens. Uh, the shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass about him. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierceth, th- uh, his nose pierceth through snares. Uh, so once again, we're covering Behemoth, and we talked about this. Uh, last time quite a bit as to who he is or what he is a little bit, uh, and we were talking about him uh, as Lucifer, and talking about him, uh, behemoth is the plural form of behemoth, uh, that being the beasts of the field type of a, a reference. Uh, you go over to Daniel chapter 7, which where we went, Revelation chapter 13, and you're finding out about uh, this beast that shows up in Daniel chapter 7, and that's the lion the bear and the leopard, and those three come together. Uh, you find out in Revelation how that works a little bit in Revelation chapter 13, and I don't want to cover all those things again, so uh, we're just going to move on pretty quick. But uh, the cherubs are likened. They have the four faces and the four faces facing each way, and the face of a man, the face of an ox, the face of an eagle, uh, and the face of a lion. And then you uh, turn around and you find out the ox, that calf is the uh, face of the of the cherub, and Lucifer is the anointed cherub that covereth, and uh, he's a serpent. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 28, he's the serpent. In a moment, we're going to talk about chapter 41 here in Job, and uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, the serpent gets demoted to be among the cattle. 
Uh, he was put down below the cattle, the beasts of the field. And uh, so we got, we got into that, uh, all of that last time. And now I'm just going to show you a few things in the chapter here, this last part, and finish up that thought on this being uh, Lucifer and not, you know, some rhinoceros or a hippo or a crocodile or a whatever else they want to throw out there uh, as, as to pertaining to what this is. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll, we'll get into it and a little deep this morning, but we'll, we'll carry on and get our way back up out of it, all right? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the day, and we thank you for just a fantastic weekend. Father, uh, six saved out on the streets. Pastor got to lead a young man to the Lord on Thursday. Uh, Father, seven souls saved this week just from what we know of what you're doing. Father, and what a small picture we have about a great God who has all the power and uh, Father just continues to do exceeding abundantly above anything we could ask or think. And Father, we just we praise you for helping uh, and showing up. And Father, just being there with us and guiding us, especially this weekend. We pray you would bless the services today. Be with me as I teach. Be with our Sunday school teachers. Help everything, Father, to be done to your praise, honor, and glory. We pray for Pastor as he gets ready to preach here in just a few moments. We pray you'd uh, just anoint his lips and help him to say what needs to be said. Be with Brother Netterville for this evening as well. Father, that people will come back out and we'd have a, a great day of worshiping and praising our God. And Lord, we pray you'd come back soon. Sound that trumpet, Lord, let us go home. But until then, help us to occupy till you come. Father, we pray you'd bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are in Job chapter 40. And uh, you look down the passage and notice what he is in, in verse number uh, 16. I mentioned this last time. He says, Lo now, his strength is in his loins and his force is in the navel of his belly. We were talking about him being uh, the leopard. He's got the body of the leopard. And that'd be a white belly. That's Japheth. Japheth goes out in force. He goes out to conquer. That's what he does. He dwells in the tents of Shem and all the prophecies that are given of Japheth. Uh, and so he comes out and as, as the conqueror, that's what he's trying to do. Uh, and so it looks like Japheth there uh, is where his strength lies. That's, that's the force. He's coming in by force. Uh, notice what else it says about him. And I'm just going to grab a few things throughout this, this passage here. I don't want to uh, belabor this too much. We covered quite a bit last time. Uh, but I wanted to catch a few things that I didn't say. And so verse 18 is pretty good. Uh, he says his bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. Uh, you'll notice repeatedly in the Scripture, not every reference, but a lot of references to iron are attached to the Antichrist. Uh, they're attached to Satan and, and types of the Antichrist. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3 is a good one. Verse number 11, you have Og, king of Bashan. He's a giant and he has his bedstead of iron. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 20, you have Egypt as the iron furnace. Uh, that's, that's pretty evident what that is. Uh, Joshua and the Canaanites, when he's fighting uh, the Canaanites, they have chariots of iron. Uh, over and over, Judges, Sisera has chariots of iron. In 1 Samuel, Goliath has the iron spearhead that he holds and he wields. Uh, it's, it's obvious over and over again. Uh, Daniel, of course, has the statue with the iron legs, Rome, picture to Rome. Uh, and you can't, you, can't, you can't get too close to uh, the Antichrist without that idea uh, and the way that they ruled. And then also you add on the iron mixed with clay. Well, that's the ten kings that come out in the, in the tribulation. That's the Antichrist kings uh, and their kingdom. Uh, the beast that we saw... In uh, Daniel chapter 7, that beast, he has iron teeth. You see that again over in Revelation. He's got teeth of iron. 
And so that's a uh, reference repeatedly to the Antichrist and the, uh, the reign that he has. And then you turn around in verse number 19. Uh, this is amazing. And we're going to talk about this again here in chapter 41. But notice what he says in verse number 19. He says, He is the chief of the ways of God. Uh, he that made him can make his sword to approach onto him. Now, nobody else can get to him, uh, but the sword of the one who made him can. <laughs> Isn't that informative, right? You get over to Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll get into some of that stuff in the next chapter, because uh, that's pretty, pretty amazing here when you get to Leviathan. Uh, but nothing can approach to him. You can't, you can't defeat him without one sword, one weapon. Uh, and you and I have one weapon, one sword, uh, that can approach to him and defeat him and take care of him and and we'll get into more of that next, next chapter here. And, uh, of course, Revelation chapter 19, when the Lord comes back, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. That's what he's coming with. Uh, he's coming with a sword, and his sword is the one who can approach onto this beast. Uh, and then you get to verse number 20, and this is where, this is where it messes with, messes with uh, the common thought process, right? You get the idea of, you know, all the weird animals they want to throw into this passage, along with the weird animals they're going to throw into the next passage. Uh, but he says, uh, surely the mountains, verse number 20, bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. Uh, right? He lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and fens. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brooks compass him about. Uh, behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can drop Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierced, pierceth through snares. Uh, you look at this guy and all the things that he is, and then you look at that passage, you go, well, that's all, that's all worldly things. That's all earthly things, unless, uh, unless it's not actual trees. Unless he's not referencing those things. He's talking about a supernatural being. You're going to find out that when he talks about Leviathan in the next chapter. It's a supernatural being. It's not a being that we, we have that we reference here on the earth. Uh, and on top of that, uh, he makes the references, well, is that what he's actually dealing with or is that something else? You and I all know trees are likened to men repeatedly. I'm, that's, that's replete throughout the scriptures, uh, right? The blind man's getting the, getting the uh, salve put on his eyes and everything else. The Lord's healing him and he kind of heals him in stages there. Uh, Side reference, just a thought for you. Uh, take a look at the way as the Lord heals blind people. He doesn't do it one way. There's not one way to heal the blind man. He doesn't do it the same way over and over again. Uh, what we did this weekend was a new way for us as a church. We've never done it before. Uh, it was a new way to see blind people come to get their sight. Uh, there's more than one way to do it. We do it a bunch of ways, and we try to see what the Lord can do, and, and the Lord will use all those ways, and you could just go ahead, that was extra, that wasn't in here. Uh, but write his statement about it is, I see men as trees walking, that's what they're doing. Uh, he looks around and he talks about men being likened to a cedar, he's got Nebuchadnezzar likened to a tree, he's got, I mean, how many do we have to do, right? Uh, men are likened to trees, that's, that's repeated throughout the scriptures, and different types of trees, and why? Uh, and then you have, notice he talks about the field, the beasts of the field play. Well, the field is likened to the world. It's a picture to the world. The seed and the sower. Well, the field is the world. Uh, that's over and over again. Say, so what's it saying about him? Well, for one, he's got the men covering him 
under the shade. What does that mean? That means he's got all the power and they're doing all the work. He lies down in comfort. Well, that's him as a king. Wasn't that the Antichrist? Since there is a king and men are his covering. And on top of that, he goes out and he plays in the, he gets fed in the, where the beasts of the field are. He eats up the world. And the men of the, what's he trying to do? He's ravaging the world, taking what he wants. He says, a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's what he wants to do. And then he says in verse number 23, well, verse number 22, the shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook come past him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. Uh, water shows up. What's water a picture to? What is it? Not in a reference. What? The Word of God is a reference. The, uh, not, what I'm, not what I'm thinking of, though. The nations, right? Revelation chapter 17, Revelation chapter... She's sitting, that woman, Mystery Babylon the Great, what's she doing? She's sitting on many waters. And what are the waters? People and nations and tongues. Say, so what's he trying to do? He's trying to drink up the whole world. He's bringing it all under his power. Especially the last place that he references... He references, and he, he trusted that he can draw up Jordan. Well, that's a reference in Israel, isn't it? You say, what does he want? He wants to take Jordan. He wants to take Israel to be his. That's the whole purpose of what he's trying to He's trying to swallow up Israel and take them as his own and overthrow them. That's his whole purpose. And so this is a great reference likened to people, but then he purposely references the Jews at the end. What he's trying to do, the accomplishment of this behemoth is the accomplishment that Lucifer would want. And then he leads you right into chapter 41. And chapter 41 is uh, by far the best chapter and the most direct chapter about Lucifer as Satan uh, that you're going to get in the entire scripture. Uh, I'm going to talk more about it here in just a moment about it, but uh, you can go everywhere from Isaiah 27 and the book of Revelation chapter 12 and chapter 13, and you can go over to uh, Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. You can go to all those places, and you know what you won't get? You won't get what you get all of in, in uh, Job chapter 41. And it is no amazing thing to me that every commentator that you pick up practically and every Bible corrector that you're going to go ahead and do messes with chapter 41. And they mess it up by telling you that it's something that it's not. And if you can get these things to match up with whatever it is they want to throw out there, then you're better than I am. And you had to mess with the text to make it do what they want it to do. And I'm going to show you one thing about it, and then I'm going to... Uh, I didn't write that reference down. Yeah, verse 12 in chapter 41. I'm going to show you one thing, and then we're going to, we're going to read a bunch of the chapter here, and then we're going to talk about Leviathan. Uh, and he says in verse number 12, the Lord is still speaking, and he says, I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely portion. So what's this chapter supposed to do? Reveal him. Tell you, show you who he is and what he really is. Not all of his workings, not everything, but his power. Uh, I'm sorry, not the, that wasn't the first thing. His parts, his power, and his comely portion. 
He's not withholding any of those things. Uh, Brother Netterville referenced it, I think, on Wednesday. The Lord doesn't want us to be ignorant of His devices. The Lord doesn't want us ignorant of, of our enemy, of our adversary. He doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, and what the devil wants to do is he wants to stay hidden as best he can. And this chapter right here does a lot of things about who he is, and I, I probably won't even do it justice. Uh, there's, there's so much in this chapter that you could keep looking at, and we could run down a thousand references for and everything else. I'm not going to do that. We're going to cover what we can and talk, talk a lot about it. But uh, we'll pick up verse number one here in Job 41. He says, thou, Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook, or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Canst thou put an hook into his nose, or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Will he make uh, many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? Will he make a covenant with thee? Wilt thou take him for a servant forever? Wilt thou play with him as with a bird? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? Shall the, companion, uh, shall the companions make a banquet of him? Shall they part him among the merchants? Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? Lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle, do no more. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely portion. Who can discover the face of his garment? Or who can come to him with his double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. His scales are his pride shut up together as a closed seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together that they cannot be sundered. By his kneesings a light doth shine. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke as out of a seething pot or cauldron. He, his breath kindleth coals and a flame goeth out of his mouth. I'm going to pause right there. We could keep reading uh, once again, but I'm going to pause right there. Notice uh, this, this guy, his name first of all is Leviathan. That's what he's calling. That's the creature that he's dealing with here. And uh, go over to Isaiah chapter 27. Leviathan doesn't just show up in this spot right here. Uh, we're going to hit a couple of spots where he does show up. Isaiah chapter 27. Now the commentators, the number one thing on the list of commentators is a crocodile. Now just, I don't know how many verses we read, like 20 verses, 21 verses, somewhere in there. Uh, did you get a crocodile out of just reading that? Is that your first thought, that you, you, could, you can't draw him out with a hook and, and put him on a line and you're, you're not going to make a banquet out of him and you're not, what? <laughs> a fire-breathing crocodile, that's what he ended up being right there, 18, 19, 20 area right there. Uh, if that's a crocodile, I, anyway, not a crocodile I've ever met and uh, none that I have ever seen and nobody's got a picture of him and nothing. There's nothing. That doesn't even make sense. And so you get to Isaiah chapter 27. Let's find out who he is. Verse number 1. He says, in that day. Now notice, once again, that day. We've talked about this plenty of times. That day, reference, second advent. It's the Lord coming back. That's that day. 
Over and over and over again, he references it that way. Notice what the Lord will do. The Lord with his sore and great and strong sword. Well, when's he come down with his sword? Second Advent, right? Shall punish Leviathan. Who's he punishing at the end of the tribulation when he comes back? He's taking out the devil. He shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, the crooked, that crooked serpent. And he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Well, that sounds, that description right there sounds a whole lot more like chapter 41 we were just reading. That sounds a whole lot better. Look over at Psalm 74. Psalm 74. You get over to Psalm 74 and you get to see see it matching up some more here. Oh, verse, we'll, we'll get down to verse number 12 here. I like verse 12. I don't necessarily need it, but I, I like it, so I'm going to read it. Uh, For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. I just like that verse. Uh, verse 13, thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the water. Thou breakest the heads of, what's that dragon? Oh, he's Leviathan in pieces, and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Tribulation, who's inhabiting the wilderness? The children of Israel are. The Jews are fleeing. They're running to the wilderness. That's where the Lord told them to go. They're running away from Leviathan. The Lord says he's going to break his heads in pieces and give it to them for meat. And he's got heads. He's got multiple heads. In fact, he's got ten heads. Go over to Revelation chapter 12. He's the dragon. He's the crooked serpent. He's Leviathan. And here he is in Revelation chapter 12. Verse number 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon... Seven, seven heads, I'm sorry, I said ten, didn't I? Uh, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and had cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And there he is. And you say, who is it? It's, it's Satan. It's not that hard. Verse 7, Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his, and his angels, and so on. And verse number 9, and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent, sound familiar? Isaiah 27. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Was, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. There it is. Uh, that's who Leviathan is. Not hard to figure out who he is. You run the references, and that's not, that's not even difficult. Uh, they don't want to see it. If you don't want to see it, you don't see it. Uh, you, want, you want to believe a lie? Go ahead and believe a lie. Uh, but how in the world you read Job chapter 41 and get a crocodile or anything else you want to try and slide in there outside of the devil himself, I have no clue. Uh, but that's who he is. And so let's go back to Job 41, and let's see who he is. The Lord wants to reveal him. Let's, let's see if we can reveal a few things about him, about his, his parts and his power and his comely portion. 
Uh, and so let's see what we can do here. Job 41, uh, notice uh, first thing about him, and we'll, we'll catch some things. Uh, notice he references first, canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook, uh, or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down, uh, hook in his nose, right? The idea of doing what? Fishing for him, going out and fishing for him. Uh, can you do that? Uh, verse 7, his skin with can you, canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? Uh, look down at verse number uh, 15. We're going to grab some things throughout the chapter here. I'm just going to kind of cover some stuff that all goes together, hopefully. Uh, his scales are his pride, shut up together as with a close seal. One is so near another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together that they cannot be sundered. Uh, this guy is, uh, he's a... He's a water animal. He's a, he's a reptilian class animal, right? He's a dragon. That's what he is. He's got scales and coverings uh, of that nature. He's in the water. He's swimming around. Uh, notice, notice in verse 31, He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. He maketh the path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. Uh, he's, he's going through where he swims. Uh, is unapproachable, but we'll get to that soon. Uh, where he swims, he, he's swimming around, and he's, he's making it boil, and he's making it turn white as he's going through and causing the course to way that he swims. Uh, that's who he is. He's a, he's a serpent. He is uh, attached with those reptilian animals, and that's what, he, that's what his classification would be. Uh, you look down at verse number 8. Uh, this, is, this is important about his power. Notice his power in verse number 8. Lay thine hand upon him, remember the battle, do no more. Why? Behold, the hope of him is in vain, and shall not, be, uh, and shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him. Uh, his awesome power is nobody's going to be able to stand up against him. Uh, no, nobody like us is standing up against him. You get into battle with him, and you're not going to stand. Not in your strength, not in your power. There's nobody that can stand. In fact, at the sight of him, at the sight of him, you're going to faint. You'll fall down. <laughs> right? You're cast down just at the sight of him. That's power. You realize that is, that is, that is, that is likened to the power of who God is. In likeness, you realize, right? The Lord shows up, what happens? I fell at his feet as dead. But notice what the Lord says about it. Verse uh, 10, none is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? <laughs> the Lord still puts the qualifier on, hey, you can't even stand up in front of this guy. By the way, I'm better than him. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, he might be really awesome in power and in and all these things that I'm going to describe to you. I'm better, all right? He just wanted to slide that one in real quick just in case somebody thought they were going to get a, you know, past him a little bit. Uh, you might not be able to stand in front of him. You surely can't stand in front of me. I have all the power. He just gets to have what I let him have for a little while. And then when I'm done, anyways, we'll get into that in a second here. It's down a little farther. Uh, then it's over with. Uh, it's over with. When the Lord wants it done, it's done. And 
I'm going to slide this in. Uh, it's not in my notes either. Uh, I'm going to slide this in. You realize that the Lord, uh, the entirety of what He is doing, Genesis chapter 3, the Lord could have just stopped everything. If He wants, He's done. He could have stopped. He could have just said, okay, well, that's the end of the universe. I guess we'll just start over. But He didn't. He's got this, when you get to Galatians, right? It's uh, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Why didn't He just have it happen in Genesis chapter 4? Just fix everything. Because He has His own timetable. Why does God allow Satan to still have any any say or any power? Because He's leaving it for a choice. You realize the ultimate choice that you and I have, why Calvinism is so awful, in this idea is because God left it for the choice all the way from the start of time so that mankind could choose who they're going to worship so that God could show who He is. He allows those things to happen not because He's a terrible God and He's just awful and He allows wickedness in the world. No, He allowed man to have a choice. He has allowed choices to happen repeatedly and those choices then end in the consequences that mankind has gotten because of their choices. And God is long-suffering, He's merciful, and He is allowing, and He's not long-suffering and merciful because of Satan, He's long-suffering and merciful because of who you are to Him. And in doing so, He allows Satan to continue until He decides it's over with. And it's not because there's this great fight. <laughs> it's, not, it's not this you know, arm-wrestling match between God and the devil and it's, it's slowly tipping back and forth, and you're waiting to see who could possibly overpower the other. The Lord hasn't even put His elbow on the table yet for a wrestling match, all right? He, he hasn't even started yet. Because when He does, it's Revelation chapter 19, and there is no fight. <laughs> when He goes into the fight, there's no question who's about to win. He hasn't, he's barely engaged anything. He's gone ahead and fought for the souls of men, and gone ahead and secured their victory forever if they want it. And now he's just waiting. He waited for the fullness of time to come before he sent his son. And he's waiting till the timetable ends for what he wants to accomplish. And it's over with. And this guy that he's going to talk about here is just our greatest adversary to that. That does not mean we don't have a greater captain. That just means we have a great adversary. And to us, he is overpowering. In our own strength and in our own might and in our own standing, He is overpowering and He will overpower. He has no problems defeating you and defeating me. That's how you get into those verses where, uh, you know, uh, people are taken captive by Him at His will. The Christian gets taken captive by Him at His will because they weren't resting in the Lord's strength and in the Lord's way and all those, and I'm not going to, i got to stop going that direction. So here we go. Uh, and so that's who he is. But if you get in front of the Lord, the Lord is so much more powerful. There's no way about it. Because notice verse number eight. Behold the hope, of, or verse number nine, I'm sorry. Behold the hope of him is in vain. Leviathan has no hope. His hope is vain. We know what he wants. He wants to take the place of God and steal all of God's glory and power. But his hope is vain. He has no hope of actually doing that. There's no victory for him. There's, there's only defeat and a lake of fire for all of eternity for him. 
he has no hope. That's why you might not be able to stand up in front of him, but he's hopeless and I have everything. As God, I have all power. That's why you can't stand in front of him. And so then you get to verse, oh, number uh, 15 here. We'll jump down there. Uh, he says, uh, his, te- his scales are his pride, shut up together as with a close seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together that they cannot be sundered. Um, this guy is, is basically, he is armored by his scales and his pride. And nothing can get through those. Nothing man-made, we'll get to that here shortly on the man-made side. Nothing man-made can get through that. Uh, we do know back there in Job chapter 40, right, verse number 19, uh, that the one that made him can make his sword to approach onto him. There is something that gets through those scales. You and I don't have officially the weapon wielded all the time. We should, and we could, but the Lord has it, and he knows exactly how to use it. Look over at... Uh, uh, well, you don't have to turn, you know the passage, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, right? We won't turn, sake of time, I'm five after already. So uh, he says, uh, right, Hebrews chapter 4, the word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and it is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is the one weapon that gets through on Leviathan. That's why the Lord in Luke chapter 4, that's what he used, right? He got in with the word of God. He didn't have to appeal to anything else. He turns to the Word of God, and it is the, thus, as it is written, as it is written, as it is written. And he takes that weapon out, and what is that? That's the only thing that cuts through. That's the only thing that gets to the inside of who he is and can beat him up and can actually take any place against him. And you can't get around it. You need it. It's our, that's why the Lord gave it to us as our weapon. He gave it to us as our weapon because we have a great adversary and that's all that gets through. That's all that keeps him at bay and resisted. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Just like he did for Jesus Christ, the devil fled when? When he pulled out the right weapon. The only one that gets through. It's the only one. He says in verse uh, number 18, by his kneesings a light doth shine and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps, and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke, as out of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. Uh, he is a little, literal fire-breathing dragon. You want to know where they got all the ideas of who that is? There he is, right there. Uh, you want... You want to know where, where they got all the depictions and all the... Th- that's right, here it is. They came out of a Bible. Uh, where do they get that idea? Well, fire-breathing dragon and all... There it is. Uh, why do fire-breathing dragons have wings? Because this one does. Yeah, there you go. Anyways, I'll let you just keep thinking. Uh, they stole everything from a Bible, just in case you're wondering. Uh Verse number 12, in his neck remaineth strength and sorrow is turned into joy before him. That's strange. No, it's not. Sorrow is turned into joy before him. Not that he turned sorrow into joy. He joys over everybody else's sorrows. For him, joy is there because he made other people suffer. Isn't that his joy? 
Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift thee as wheat. He watches. He loves to wreck lives. He came to, to steal and to kill and to destroy. He takes pleasure in that. Uh, you, th- you think just for a moment, how can, how can someone... How can someone go ahead and, and go, I'll take the most recent example, right? How can someone go into a school, an elementary school of all places, and kill and destroy and nobody stopped him for way too long? So how does that happen? Because uh, they take pleasure in destruction, just like their father does. Yeah. And you go through all these things, and the Lord, the Lord, you you go well. Why are all these? Why are all these terrible? How can how can these people be that terrible? They're just like their father. That you talk about. Uh, I heard a great message um, from Brother Mund, Fishers of Men Ministries. He preached on pirates, talking about the Lord, uh, talking about Satan there, and he comes to seek and to kill and to destroy, or to steal, to kill and to destroy. And he's talking about what those what those pirates did on the on the seas and just how they just they'd walk out and I think one of the one of the illustrations he used I think was Blackbeard he walked out onto the deck and uh, just pulled out pulled out his revolver and shot his first mate threw him overboard. Everybody's like, what what happened? He goes, oh, I just got to kill every one of you every once in a while. Let you know who's in charge. Who thinks like that? <laughs> Wicked men think like that because of who their father is. He wants to destroy. That's who he is. He takes joy in everybody else's sorrows. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. His heart is as firm as a stone. Yea, his heart as a piece of the nether millstone. When he raiseth up himself, the mighty are afraid. By reason of breakings, they purify themselves. Uh, I'm going to pause. I forgot to mention something, right? His heart is as firm as a stone. You go, the devil knows the, doesn't the devil know the scriptures? He knows it. He's familiar. Uh, He knew it well enough to quote it back to Jesus. He knows what's in there. Say, doesn't he know he's going to lose? Yeah, he knows he's going to lose. Say, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he just quit? Go hide somewhere. (laughs) Go, Go leave. Quit fighting God and just go somewhere else. Because his heart is as a stone. He's not moving. He's, he's committed to his cause. He's going to lose. And he knows he's going to lose. And he's read Revelation chapter 21, 22. He knows what's happening. 20, 21, 22. He's, he knows. So what's he going to do? He's going to continue his course. And he's going to be judged. And it's not going to change. And... Uh, Verse number 26, the sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold. The spear, the dart, nor the bergeron, uh, he, he esteemeth iron as straw and brass as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned uh, with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laugheth at the shaking of a spear. Sharp stones are under him. He spread the sharp pointed things upon the mire. Uh, notice all these weapons they pull out. They grabbed everything. <laughs> uh, they, went, they went everywhere. Swords and spears and arrows and stones. They grabbed everything. They didn't, anything they could find, they were throwing at this guy. And you know what it does? Nothing to him. 
Well, then, he's a spiritual being. And as a spiritual being, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God at the pulling down of strongholds. Uh, How do you defeat him? Well, not by carnal means. Uh, that's the idea of will worship, and I'm gonna I'm gonna beat the devil because I'm gonna I'm gonna stand my ground because I know it's right, so I'm gonna do what's right just because I know. And you don't have any strength in the Lord. That doesn't work. Men fall all the time. Why? Because they quit relying on the only one who can actually win. They get swallowed up by him. They get taken and destroyed, and he ravages men. He destroys their lives. Why? Because they, they think they can still win by fleshly means. And all the fleshly means you throw at him, you won't defeat him. Not at all. And people think, and um, yeah, I'm going to do it. People think it's a little game. They do. They think, well, you know, it's all right. I can play around with those things. Now, the devil's not playing. His side's not playing. People play church and they play this and they play that and they play and then they play around with their sin, and they play around with temptation and they play around and then they wonder why they lost. They lost because the other side's not playing. They're they're in it to destroy you. The world wants to destroy you. Your flesh wants it its way and it will destroy you. And the devil certainly would love to watch all of you get destroyed. That's what he wants. Why? Because we wouldn't have people out like we did over the weekend. He doesn't want people out doing that. Six people coming to the Savior in, a, in two days. The devil doesn't want any of that. He'd, he'd love it if he could just take you out and leave you, leave you in ruin. Nobody wants, to, nobody wants to deal with you. Nobody believes you. Nobody thinks you got anything together. Nobody, why is your testimony so important? That's why your testimony is so important. The devil's not playing around. Happy Father's Day. Yep, there it is. I'm a father too. It's Father's Day for me. All right, don't worry. We're all in the same boat now. Verse 31. I might finish this chapter. I'm close. I could do it. Uh, I'm not going to cover a ton of stuff. Uh, I mean, I could go real deep right here, but he says in verse 31, he says, He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. He maketh the path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. Upon earth there is not like, not his like, who is made without fear. He beholdeth all high things. He is, the, he is a king over all the children of pride. Uh, he references the deep here. Uh, once again, we've talked about this before and repeatedly. Uh, the deep is not a body of water on this planet. Now, it can reference the deep as something deep here on the earth, uh, but this, this is not... Notice he says there's none like him on the earth. Well, then where does he dwell? He dwells in a body of water that's not on the earth, which puts him where we talked about in Job chapter 38, where the face of the deep is frozen between here and a third heaven where the, the abode of God is. And the Lord is sitting upon a sea of glass. And that's, that's the difference. And he's floating around in there. Now notice, I'm going to give you something pretty cool right here. Uh, you can go back to Genesis chapter 1. and You can do all the things with the deep. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something fun right here, okay? Uh, I'm going to give you a nice, nice little type. Uh, Pharaoh is a type of the devil, the Antichrist, right? He's a great type of that. 
The children of Israel are the people of God. And they come up to the Red Sea, a large body of water, not the Sea of Reeds, but don't get me started. All right, they come up to the body of water, and here they are, and they step up there, and the Lord says, okay, I'm going to part the waters. You're going to come through on dry ground, and the water is going to swallow up the one who's chasing you. Now, how, how are you and I about to get to the, the abode of God when a trumpet sounds? Oh, there's only one way to get up there. We've got to get through that body of water and pass through unharmed by the one who is trying to stop us. There you go. That's just a little extra. Anyways, uh, and by the way, he maketh it to boil like a pot, and he goes ahead and it shines after him. He, we got something chasing us coming up there. Anyways, um, you just think about that for a while. That's fun stuff. Uh, but notice who he is. He's made, and he's not like, there's not like his who is made. Notice, he's also made without fear. You want to know why he, you want to know why he won't give up? He's not afraid. He has no fear. There's no fear of God in him, but there's no fear at all. No, he's not afraid of a thing. Why is the lion the king of beasts? No fear. He doesn't turn his back to any. He doesn't back down from a fight. The devil's as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he's not backing down from a fight. And he's not backing down even against the God of the universe. You say, is he foolish? Yeah, he's foolish. I'm, but I, you need to understand who he is. He's not backing down. He's not going to take his, take his dollies and go home. He's ready to finish this. And he's either going to win or he's going to lose. That's his mindset. I'm either going to win or I'm going to lose. But I'm not stopping in the middle. There's no quitting him. He says in verse 34, why? Because he beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. He's proud, his scales are pride, and he is king over all the children of pride. Ezekiel 28, it's pride. Isaiah chapter 14, it's pride, 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 pride. That's who he is. And in his arrogance, he's going he's gonna to lose. And that's why the Lord hates, hates proud look. He hates all, and we go through all those things. And they become an abomination unto him. Why? Because that's who you're, that's who you're being like. You're being like your old king. When the Lord saved you to be better. Let's have a word of prayer. We're done. Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for the morning. I thank you for just, uh, Lord, opening our eyes. I pray you'd help us, Father, as we looked over those things, to not be ignorant of our adversary. And Father, I pray you'd bless, uh, Father, especially the fathers that came out today. Bless them for coming out to church and their families. We pray you would bless the day. I pray Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. I pray for souls to be saved. I pray we'd have some visitors, especially from the weekend. Father, I pray we'd have some folks come. Father, some that were saved, some that just got a Bible and, and got to hear a little bit, I pray they would come. And Father, we pray once again that you'd sound a trumpet soon and take us on home, even today, in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. All right, take a break.